What's up, everyone? Welcome, everyone. Welcome back to Breaking the Grid, the podcast where we talk about self-sufficiency, off-grid living, and life without society. Last week's episode, we talked about what life was like out there for Dan. Um, we went into a lot of the topics that were from his book, Breaking the Grid. So uh, this week, we are going to talk about another chapter from his book, the last chapter called Take the Plunge. It's everything you need to know about prepping, the preparation stage of leaving society because we don't recommend anyone to just go out there and survive out there in the wilderness tomorrow. There is quite a bit of research and work and effort that goes into the preparation stages to ensure your highest chances of survival. And that's the difference between a survivalist and someone that's self-sufficient is um, a survivalist just goes out in the woods and can survive. He can make his little hut. He can make a fire. He can do all these things. I almost know nothing about those things. Mm -hmm. And yet I am extremely knowledgeable about living out there self-sufficiently. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, in your book, in that last chapter, you've laid out what you have found to work best for you, what you did wrong, and how to circumnavigate the process of preparation as effortlessly, efficiently, and on the least amount of money as possible. And obviously, everything that we say today, you can take with a grain of salt, adapt it to your own situation, or just ignore it, in which case... Uh, you can stop watching the episode now. <laughs> <laughs> and repeat all the exact same uh, mistakes that I made. Yeah. Uh, and something to keep in mind, Dan, we want to put ourselves in the shoes of these people as a beginner. You know, it's scary to leave your whole life behind. That's what you're, you essentially did. And we understand that it's scary. It was scary for him and it was scary for me to leave also. So, um, so we're going to do our best. This is actually like our first kind of how-to video. We've went through a lot of background stuff with me and Dan in the past two episodes. So this is kind of our first, like, here's something we can give to you for your self-improvement or whatever. Yeah, our input. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Which is, uh, it's going to work good because we have two viewpoints of it. Someone that's not very knowledgeable and people can relate to very easily. And then somebody's very knowledgeable um, that we can try to explain it in a um, a very relatable way. Mm -hmm. So. How did you approach leaving society? What was your planning process like? Back then, there was no YouTube, no, um, not many how-to books on doing this, no websites. Didn't really have much of an internet uh, at that time. But I went to the library. I tried to get any book on um, how to live off the grid, how to be self-sufficient, which were like written in the 60s when the hippies were doing so they were like teaching you how to make baskets and stuff. And I'm like, tell me how to make a blender so I can make my margaritas. You know, <laughs> I wasn't trying to live like in a cave. And, yeah. and then I, I just kind of went out and learned everything I could in trade schools and apprenticeships, community college courses, um, anything from uh, basic electricity to pottery to blowing glass to um, working metal welding. I just basically went to a mechanic shop and said, can I be your helper and mm -hmm. for free, work for free for you? Mm -hmm. um, and you do all the grunt work, but you learn about auto mechanics. Mm -hmm. And um, that was really essential in a lot of the, that was probably the only right decision I did. Was wow. Just go and learn as much as I could. Wow. That is, that's pretty impressive that you were willing to dedicate yourself to all of that education. 
like you said, you can't just go out there and into the wilderness and then expect to do any of this stuff. Yeah. And that's what we think. We see TV shows and movies that, that glorize these things and make it look like, oh, anybody can. If there's an end of the world event, I can survive out there. I can do it. And, right. and maybe you can survive, but we're not talking about surviving. We're talking about thriving. Right. And uh, so, so there's a big difference. And, and knowledge right. is the key there. Yeah. Uh, surviving and thriving. There's two different meanings to those words. Surviving is living on, you know, the bare minimum, taking life day by day. And thriving is Abundance. your highest, right, yeah. your highest chances of, of survival. Yeah. Survival on the farther, farthest top end yeah. of surviving. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, definitely. Um, how many years did it take you to prep? Because it sounds, I mean, you can't just learn pottery and bricklaying in a few months. Yeah, I mean, um, years. Years. Yeah, years. Um, we could go all the way back to when I learned, you know, how to hunt and trap as a teenager. Yeah. How to use guns, how to clean guns, how to take guns apart, how to garden as a kid, how to grow plants. Yeah, the, the hardcore learning where I really jumped into it a couple of years before we left. Wow. Sure. That's the complete opposite of me. I did everything last minute. <laughs> yeah. Because you had years of preparation. I had no preparation and i was just like i just want to leave california yeah. and i just want to start a self-sufficient life and i left with no knowledge i didn't know how to ride a bike yeah. until i came here yeah. <laughs> dan had to teach me so much and i think it was a lot harder for me it still is really hard for me yeah but i think in your case and probably a lot of people's case a big part part of that is that you just didn't do many things as a kid like you said, ride a bike or yeah. like climb up a hill or climb a tree or use simple hand tools. You know, mm -hmm. when I was 13, I knew how to hammer nails and I, my dad had me out there building fences and stuff. And yeah. you just didn't get to do any of that stuff. No, I didn't. Yeah. So for, so for someone like me, the path to preparation is probably going to be a lot longer and a little bit more difficult. Not saying it's impossible because I'm, I'm here and I'm doing it. So it's not impossible, but it, it is going to be a lot harder yeah For sure was there any specific goals or milestones during your preparation stage that you wanted to hit i mean we wanted to leave as soon as possible we wanted like you said we just wanted like you like you did yeah. we just wanted to cut out and leave um, but we knew that wasn't the intelligent thing to do and that we might actually die out there yeah that's the case but we didn't want to stay there forever we didn't want to prolong this and that's the thing about learning is that there's there's always more to learn. Mm -hmm. There's always something else you can learn. I, I studied all these different things, all the things in my book for two or three years. I could have spent another two or three, I could have spent 30 more years mm -hmm. learning everything there is about, you know, circuitry, woodworking, and how to make drywall or something. Mm -hmm. you know? And you could get in that trap and get stuck in there. So I just really wanted to learn the most important things and then we'd figure the rest out. Right. There. So give yourself a set deadline. And stick to it. And stick to it. Because you can keep pushing that back. Right. Um, there's always something else to learn for sure. Right. Um, and obviously you don't need to learn everything under the sun, but the basics will get you a long way. Right. right? I, didn't need, I didn't need to know how to make drywall. Just a basic knowledge of electricity um, could get me far enough. Right. And... Uh, I hate to tell everyone this, but sometimes you just, you're just going to have to learn things the hard way. That was the biggest way to learn. Yeah. Is 
the three years we learned before, I mean, we, we studied and learned things. Yeah. Before. All that education. Mm -hmm. the, it was the three years after that, when you're actually boots on the ground, hands on, you learn really quick. Mm -hmm. And that's something I learned even in um, college, just taking college courses, the, what you learn in a controlled classroom environment isn't necessarily what you're going to take out to the practical real world. And unfortunately, that's just sort of the way that it is. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. We did more learning out there. And that was with a huge knowledge base going out there. Mm -hmm. I think we did everything the hard way. And it could have been and should have been a lot easier mm -hmm. um, than what we made it. Right. So acquiring skills is uh, an important part of preparing for leaving society. Something you mentioned in, in your book was asking the question, why? So you want to ask yourself why. That purpose is what really drives you when you're out there. It has to be a purpose that's going to continue to motivate you while you're out there. If I just want to leave society to, I don't know, save money? Or, well, that that's a good reason too, yeah, but that's <laughs> yeah, that's a great reason. Never mind, not save money. <laughs> that's a great reason is to go and live off the grid. But if you want to go out there because you, you think it looks fun, you know, um, you're going to learn really quick and really fast that it's a hard life out there and you're going to stop. So if you can solve the why in any other ways, I would, at least I would highly suggest that you try to solve that why any other ways before you put yourself in a situation and you decide this isn't necessarily what you want. Yeah. We also highly suggest that you go through and start making like a rough outline for your needs and your wants when you're out there and how you plan on achieving those things. For example, needs, which is water, food, shelter, medical, and for me, social, and my wants, entertainment, uh, money. But it, it might look different for you guys. Maybe money is a need and social is just a want. So uh, it's up to you guys to sort of make this rough outline and then seeing how you can achieve these things. So if water, what are you going to do for water? Well, rain catchment, river, creek, um, how are you going to achieve these things? Are you going to build the well on your own? If you are, you're going to have to start learning how to drill a well. If you're going to go to a property that already has a well, you're going to have to start saving for a property that already has a well. And learning how to maintain your well. And learning how to maintain your well, right. If you're going to have someone else build it for you, again, you're going to have to save. It's probably going to be a couple of thousands, maybe hundreds if you can find that labor on the cheap side. But you're going to start having to save to, to start building your well. And for you, when you went out there, it was a rain catchment system. And obviously, a lot of things came into that decision. It was your location. You were in the desert, and you built your your structure on top of a cliff, which then you'd have to drill the well another hundred thousands, maybe yeah, thousand feet, or thousand feet. Yeah, exactly. So there, there's a lot of components that come into this, and just starting that rough outline. If you're serious about this, it sort of helps you start that initial exploration, whether it's money that you need or whether it's education that you need, whatever it is, uh, you want to start building that rough outline. And it's going to be different for every person. Everything that we get, we're telling you guys applies to all levels of off-grid living, um, whether you just want to be a little bit more self-sufficient or if you want to do what Dan did and leave society as a whole. You touch on a good point, which is a big factor of this, a big aspect is some of these things that are 
needs like water or um, food and whatnot. Since little kids, we're programmed and brainwashed by society, Hollywood, teachers to have this dream of what different dreams look like. And like the white picket fence, you know, that's been driven into to us and that we want a white picket fence for some reason. Mm -hmm. But like, if you've always dreamt of having your own well, and you're like, I'm going to go out there, be off the grid and, and I'm going to have my well, that's going to be so cool. Cause I can crank it up the little bucket. That's so cute. You know? And then you get out there and you realize you have to drill 5,000 feet down and it's going to cost $400,000 to make a well. You're like, there goes that dream. Mm -hmm. So the education part of this is also affects your wants and needs in that, even though that's a need. You still want it to be a certain way and you have to have to be able to change those wants and those, those pre-programmed, um, needs to, for things to be a certain way to actually how, what is the best way to your location and where you're at? Right. We talked in the last episode about how a lot of those, um, needs turned into wants, how once you're out there and you're living out there, you realize what you really need. And when you're here, even when you're making that needs and wants list, you don't really recognize what is a need and what is a want necessarily yet. The outline is good for you to start prepping for those things, but it, it's hard for you to really gauge your needs and your wants until you're actually there. Getting back on topic of acquiring skills and whatnot, what skills did you actually use when you're out there? Because you almost learned everything under the sun. That's why I was telling you, you don't need to learn everything. But Dan went to the extreme. I'm doing a whole bunch of things. So what The skill I use? learned the most and used the most was probably how to make drywall. How to... What? <laughs> it was like we just got there saying how that was not a necessary skill. The most important skill is how to make your own drywall with, with lime and calcium. Pulses. You guys heard it here first. Paper That's bag. the most important skill. Um metallurgy how to uh how to melt uh, iron separate the purities to make and temper steel how to mine and look for iron and other minerals um welding absolutely photovoltaics solar power systems wind turbines how they work woodworking i learned construction cabinet making yeah. how to make rope how to make fabric um, wow how to weave how to knit how to some medicine, medical. So you learned all of that while you were in society. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, you, 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 if you had to learn how to perform basic surgeries when you're out there. Oh, yeah. Uh, you're probably only going to get one try and then <laughs> you're not going to learn too much about yeah. it. But, yeah. That's it for that. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we learned pretty much like every, even like psychology and sociology and religion to understand what our mind was going to go through because mm. it's a toll on your mind and your spirit as much as is a toll on your body. Mm -hmm. And we had to learn how to navigate emotional and mental strains on ourselves and between each other, mm -hmm. um, me and my ex-wife, so that we could deal with that. Because mm. you know, out there, there's no going to psychologist, a counselor for, for marriage help. There's no going to a doctor. Wow. There's no going to an electrician to fix your wiring problem. That kind of leads me to my next question is, is there a certain type of personality or characteristic traits that 
you need to develop because you're not only just when we're talking about skills like dan was saying it's not just tangible skills it's a lot of interpersonal skills you have to build and mental coping mechanisms that you have to develop so what sort of personality or characteristic traits would you recommend that people start developing naive you want someone to be naive yeah anyone in their right mind would have second thoughts about going out there and doing what we did really Uh, yeah I, i mean i think that to a certain point you have to kind of not know what you're doing as much as as much as you have to know what you're doing you kind of have to go in there and not know everything that that goes behind doing all this because if you did know you wouldn't do it the things that these people went through like our forefathers and ancestors and even the hippies that moved off off and lived off the land they went and we did too we went through they they went through extreme um Extreme heat, extreme drought, hunger. Um, it's the things you don't really want to naturally put your body through in your, in your mind. So to some degree, a little bit of ignorance as to what's coming. Then you can kind of overcome it little by little. Oh. You know, but if you knew everything that went into climbing Everest, you're going to say, there's no way I can do that. But how do you, how do you develop that? That's like... Yeah, I don't know how you can dumb yourself down. Yeah, it's like the the concept of the Matrix cipher, you know, the the character from the Matrix. Matrix. Right. He he wanted to become ignorant again, and in the movie, they can just you know unplug him, plug him back in. Yeah. But in real life, it's hard to. It's I think it's almost easier to learn and become smart than to like dumb yourself down. I don't even know how to begin that. That this kind of goes back to. Um, setting that point and not learning not continuously gaining knowledge oh the deadline yeah because the more you research about this and the more documentaries you see and the more personal experiences and accounts that you read the more you're going to learn wow this is tough Mm -hmm. and you do need some of that you need a little of that so you don't walk in completely blind Mm -hmm. but if you have too much of it it's just going to it's going to turn you off to it. Mm-hmm. And then the second um, element I would suggest is, and it kind of goes with this, is just a lot of heart, mm-hmm. um, a lot of confidence, a lot of drive, determination, even a little obsessive compulsive nature, because someone that's just like, eh, you know, yeah. when they take on a task or, or need to do house chores or something, I'm like, eh, I'll do it later. You know, that's a trait that doesn't really work out there. Yeah, it's very dangerous to have that mentality out there. Right, because you're going to die or get hurt. Your animals are going to die or get hurt. Yeah. There's a lot of times that we woke up at at, at 3 o'clock in the morning and heard something attacking our animals or something. And we had to go out there and with a rifle, half asleep, and kill it. And if I would have said, oh, I'm too sleepy, just hit the snooze button on that yeah. chicken alarm out there and uh, <laughs> cock will do a doing and, <laughs> and I'm going back to sleep. Then I woke up next morning, all my chickens were dead. Oh, man. Yeah, I don't really, you don't really think about that. So I guess my next question is what personality traits would not work well out there? Obviously, what you were saying, the easygoing, laid back, chill vibes or whatnot, that's not going to fly out there. What right. what else? And and you were saying being too smart wouldn't fly out there either? Too knowledgeable. Too knowledgeable? Yeah. Okay. Um, another 
I, I used to get this one a lot when I took interns and volunteers to, to different um, countries. And then a lot with our commune members that want to join our commune is that the very, and I'm going to offend a lot of viewers, oh, but no. the very like artsy and musicians and um, the creatives, the very creatives. Don't get me wrong. That's an awesome skill to have. We all wish we were that Yeah, creative. we're creatives. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're creatives. We're doing this. Yeah. But when it comes to a survival situation, literally the last thing you need is to play a song <laughs> or to paint a painting or to make a necklace. Yeah. You absolutely have to get all the, the food and the water and, and the shelter and the, you know, all the necessities done. So a lot of the time we get these people come out, we're like, what can you contribute to our, our growing little society. And they're like, I can paint pictures and I'm a great artist. And, and again, I think it's awesome, but we need some core strengths and core abilities. Right. And then we can implement all of the fun and happy vibes and happy make things that makes us happy, which is important too. It's critical. You have to be entertained. You have to have some relief. You have to blow up, be able to blow off some steam and relax on an emotional side as much as a physical side. Mm. But the physical actually absolutely has to come first. Mm, okay, I understand. It's not a necessary skill when you're out there to survival. Although it's it's important in this society, a lot of people need an outlet to channel their creativity or channel their emotions or whatnot. But when you're living bare bones out there, like you were saying, tackling all of the physical traits of of surviving and thriving out there, creativity isn't necessarily a necessity quite yet. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely necessity out there. Yeah. Long run. You'll go crazy if you yeah. don't. But yeah, at least for the first 80% of it. I agree. I, I completely agree. And we see this on a lot larger scale in our society today. When you leave society, you're not really leaving society. You're just building your own little society, micro society. So. You could take everything that society is and just move it over, or you can do things completely different. And in our society today, we see that in like paintings and guitars that sell for a million. There's a, there's a painting I saw the other day. It was just all red. There was nothing else, just red paint. And it sold for like $2 million or something. Gosh. And I'm like, why are we painting pictures with red paint when there's children starving in Africa and there's children being sold into the slave market. You know, that, that doesn't make any sense to me. Somebody spent, gave somebody else $2 million that could have helped end world hunger mm -hmm. for a canvas filled with red paint. It just, it blows my mind. Mm -hmm. Like I'm all for painting pictures, but let's end world hunger first. Right, right. You know, if there's people starving, why are we, why are we doing that? It doesn't, it just doesn't make sense to me. Right, right. Yeah, I completely agree. I We're not. We're not trying to attack the creative no, no, no. field at all. No, because it's absolutely necessary. Yeah. But as, if there's, as long as there's children starving to death, yeah. it's not necessary. Maybe the starving children is a higher priority. Yeah, than, I, just, I don't get it. Right. So that's, that transfers right over to your own little society. If you're going to just be painting pictures and playing music and being kumbaya around the fire, you're living off the grid experience is not going to last very long. And that's a big part of why the hippies kind of failed is that right. they, they didn't want to work. They didn't want to put in that. They didn't want to farm the land. Right. They, they just wanted to, you know, 
sit around the fire and play guitar and sing songs, right. which is awesome. That's what I want to do too. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I'm no different. I just want to create things and paint and, and, um, play music. I don't want to, I don't want to be out in the middle of the night killing some animal or chipping it rock. That's hard work. Yeah, it is hard work. And uh, nobody wants to do it. Right. And it's funny because like I came here with that mindset sort of, you know, like, oh, I'm not hustling anymore. I'm not in college anymore. I just want to enjoy life and I'm out here and I'm learning to be self-sufficient, but I want to take the days slower. I want to take it day by day. I just sort of want to chill. It became a reality really quick that that personality type isn't necessarily going to be the best when you're trying to live off grid because there are things that you have to maintain on a daily basis. I mean, we have little portions of it. Yeah, we, we get portions of that sprinkled yeah. throughout our time yeah. here. Because again, it's critical. If you don't have it, you're crazy. Right, exactly. But I think what helped me overcome that is just having an open mind and the desire to learn. My desire to learn and be self-sufficient and survive out here and thrive out here was a lot more important to me than chilling, you know. So we're not saying that if you have that chill personality that you're not going to do good out here. Because I came into this with that mentality, that that sort of personality. It's funny, I brought all of my art sketchbooks and all my water paints and my pens and my markers and stuff. And I haven't really touched it. Yeah. Not even it's been two and a half years. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I don't think we've colored. Yeah. Well, in the beginning, we sort of did. But then when shit hits the fan, it becomes a reality that that stuff kind of needs to go to the side. And you can do it. We're not trying to, to discourage you from trying to, if this is what you want to do and you have, you know, strong motivations for doing it, there's not really anything that's going to stop you. You can always shift your mentality. You can always learn to improve yourself. So it's, it's, it goes back to that kind of knowledge base that you have to get before you leave, knowing how things are going to be out there mm -hmm. because you have this, this vision that, that society again has brainwashed you with that I can yeah. go out there and sit around the fire and sing songs and, and we can paint yeah. and make necklaces and stuff. We saw that on TV our whole life growing up. Yeah, you want to escape your reality. Yeah, and this I don't is... want to go out there and work. I can stay in here and work. Yeah. But it's just one of those things that we're talking about is that you have to have a, a real more realistic outlook on what's going to happen out there. Right. Because if you go out there with a guitar and paints and paintbrushes and you don't bring a pick with you, um, you're going to be rudely uh, awakened to right. um, find out that uh, it's not about sitting around the fire. Right, exactly. Anyways. Moving so, on. Um, Sorry to everybody again. Yeah. <laughs> Just disrespecting yeah. people. Right and left. Yeah. Who's next? Next. Businessmen, you're out. You're out. Politicians, you're not going to survive out. <laughs> Skateboarders. You're not going to survive. <laughs> but, but anyways, we, we're going to now go into a little section about the basics of things. <laughs> That's perfect. That's well put very uh elegantly put yeah. so like we were saying before acquiring skills very very important but if you just sort of prep yourself with just the basics of those skills you know if you want to learn how to go uh, how to construct or build something 
um, just learning the basics will get you a far way. It gets you leaps and bounds ahead of the average person who doesn't even understand what the basics are. So we're gonna we're gonna have a tray of tools, and what we're gonna do is I'm going to pick out the tools. So you're gonna grab one and tell me what the name of it is. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna grab one, tell you what the name of it is, and maybe even what it's used for. Oh, good. Okay. And um, you're going to critique me okay. and just bash me. Okay. No holds. Okay. So just basically a normal day <laughs> around here. Yeah, okay. Gotcha. Exactly. And I've only been at this for about a year and a half or so. Um, so it's, I, I wouldn't say I'm necessarily like a beginner. I understand what a lot of these tools are and I use them on a day-to-day -day basis, but Dan has a much more in-depth knowledge of all of these tools. He's been doing it for almost 45 years. Yeah. 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 When I was old enough to stand up, I was sitting in front of a, a truck engine handing my dad tools while he was rebuilding. Right. Right. So, okay. So here we go. I and after this, we'll, I'll, I'll tell you about a fun little game that you can do with your partner or with your kids or family or friends to kind of help you with this. I'm going to make myself look like an idiot. For our listening audience, I do apologize. This is a very visual segment. If you are curious on what tools we are referring to, please go check it out on our YouTube channel, Dan Martin Human. Otherwise, feel free to skip this segment. This is what I'm gravitating towards. This is a ply. This, this is a pair of pliers. Mm -hmm. I know what it is because I use it. The most often and dan asks for it almost every day <laughs> yeah that's because it's the most it's a, just a very general tool that can you can almost do everything with it i mean you can use it as like a hammer yeah i've seen him yeah. use it as a hammer there, there's a lot of variety of um of ways you can use a tool um so this is is it a machine plier? nope no it's not a machine plier. No. oh no yeah. i don't know okay so it does this thing that, it like good yeah, she just like extended it, made yeah, it bigger, and it does that thing. Yeah, it, it extends itself. Yeah. There you go. That's a better term for it. Um, and it, it's not a machine plier. Okay, mm -hmm. um, you actually use machine pliers all everyday shoes. I do, but this, what do they look like? They look, they look like this. See, so you see that hole here? There's like a, a some teeth with a hole in the middle here, um, and the machine pliers doesn't have that. Right. Right. It has like a wire cutter uh-huh it's it has a wire cutter and that, what else to that one and a blue handle <laughs> that's critical at machine pliers have blue handle that's how i tell the difference and regular pliers have red handle that's how i started this was he'd be like hand me the machine pliers and i'm like okay that's the one with the blue so handles if we ever have to replace our machine pliers and they have yellow handles oh. then you're at you're out of luck yeah i'm done for okay. i wouldn't know the difference okay. anymore okay. <laughs> Yeah, so what else does that, the machine pliers have up here at the top? Um, above the wire cutters. Oh, gosh. Oh, no, I don't know. It's very, the teeth, like when you open this one up, you see teeth inside here. Well, machine pliers have a very flat. Oh, yeah. Surface. Right. It, it doesn't, it doesn't jut out like this. It kind of caves in a little yeah. bit and then it goes to a point. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's right. So this is not a machine plier, guys. Nope. That's that's what we're learning today. I don't know what kind of pliers just these are. Normal. Oh, okay. Just pliers. all right. These are a normal pliers. Yeah. What are they used for? Um, they're used for holding beans. Good. Yeah. Good. All so, kinds of things. Yeah. 
He can you hold anything. He could hold another tool with him. Yeah, give me that. There you go. There you go. That's... It, but that's true. I've used it like this before. If I need leverage, yeah. you know, yeah. and I need to turn this screwdriver, yeah, true, it true. gives me that leverage. Yeah. Um, so it's it's good for it's like a vice grip almost mm -hmm. for your hands. Mm -hmm. So um, so yeah, I I use it a lot to like twist wires. Mm -hmm. Like I put the wires in between these teeth and I mm -hmm. twist it. Good. <laughs> good. But yeah, that that's and the difference and the reason why we're so adamant on identifying what kind of pliers these are is because there's different kinds of pliers and they're used for all different things. Like this is the next thing I'm gravitating towards. This is also a pair of pliers, but it's a lot longer and it has instead of that round tip up there, it's a lot more narrow. And these I know these because they look so different. They're needle nose pliers. Good. Yay. And they're kind of used for the same thing, but if you need to, you know, kind of go in there a little bit further and this yeah, pair of pliers. got a little space or something. Yeah. Like that little space there, I can very easily get this yeah. needle nose plier in there so I can hold on to something and twist it or, or take it off or whatnot. So, okay. Pliers. Two pliers, different uses, different names. We also have channel locks. Oh, yeah. We do have channel lock pliers. And we have, um, we have 90 degree Needle nose, so they're bent at 90 degrees. Oh, yeah. And that way you can get in 90 degrees. We have 45s, so you can get in at 45. All okay. kinds of pliers. Right. Okay. Next tool. This one is easy. It's a hammer. What kind of hammer? Lots of hammers. What kind of hammer? It. Oh, um, it's a ball pin hammer? Good. Ball pin hammer. Good. Because Good. It, there's a ball at the end, yeah. which I have never used this ball. What is this for? I've never used this side before. Uh, I've used it a lot. Um, I see it. I'll use it to like if there's a there's a a, a a bolt that is at the surface of the metal, and I need to push it down below the surface. I'll, I'll hit it with the ball pin side. Oh, because this just hits the surface. Oh, um, I've used the ball pin to break up brick kinds of things. Oh, okay. But originally, I think it's for um, metalworking. So, like, you got your hot metal working, you can work it this way or you can work it this way. Oh, I see. Okay, so ball pin hammer, different from a regular hammer. Yeah. Nail hammer? Is that what? Uh, claw hammer. Claw hammer. Claw hammer is the one that you see on TVs all the time with the little claw thing at the end yeah. instead of the ballpoint pin. We have framing hammers, which are like claw hammers. Mm -hmm. but Sledgehammers. Sledgehammers. Yeah, all types of different hammers. So, it's important to just not know what category of tools they belong to, but what specific type and what they're used for. Because it, oh, I almost hit Dan. That's, uh, that's not what they're used for. No, no, do we, we do not. Condone. We do not yeah, we do not condone violence with hammers around here. Um, okay, next thing. Okay, so these are the next tools. These are both screwdrivers. I use them, I think, I use these almost as often as the pliers, to be honest with you. Because everything today comes with screws. My laptop comes with screws. This microphone has screws in them. That clock has screws. Lots of things comes with screws. I, I use them pretty often. This is a Phillips head screwdriver. I don't know why it's called. I guess Phillips invented it. Oh, okay. It used to just be the this one. Everything was just this screw. They the didn't, flat head. They never made the Phillips. Oh, really? Yeah. So the flathead screwdriver came first. Yeah, maybe hundreds or thousands of years. It was just a flathead screwdriver. Oh, okay. Flat screws. Flathead screwdriver because it has a flathead, um, pretty obvious. 
And this is a Phillips scoop, Phillips head screwdriver because it comes with Phillips head, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Yeah. So it was always this for screws, but one slot going through a screw is highly inefficient. It's really inefficient. Your screwdriver keeps slipping out. Oh. So they went to Phillips head, which doesn't have a slot that goes out at all. So your screw all, screwdriver always stays in the screw as long as you're pushing on it. Oh. And now we have what's called torque head screws, which is like a um, hexagon or, or an octagon or something mm -hmm. tip on here. And that's even, uh, yeah, that's even more efficient. Oh, the, the screwdrivers that come with all the Ikea furniture. Yeah. The Allen wrench right. or mm -hmm. Allen screwdriver. Yeah, you can use the Allen wrench on it. Right. Anyone who's ever built Ikea furniture, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They give you a little pouch of like nuts and screws and, and, wrenches. and, and a little box of Allen wrenches. <laughs> yeah. These, I don't know why people still use these. Oh. <laughs> ridiculous. Um, this. Oh, no. I oh What is this? You, you have, I don't think you've ever used that. I don't think I've used this quite no, as I've much as the other ones. Though, a couple times. Yeah, you've asked for it. I don't know what you use it for. This it's a tool with the red handle. So I'm like pliers? No. <laughs> what it is actually this is kind of pliers. It Anything like that has a, a hinge point here oh, or a swivel really? point here and you use in your hand like this is technically a type of plier. Really? Yeah. Okay. So um there's different holes here with different numbers on it uh so get what what type of work do i use do i use it for woodworking no you don't do i use it for metalworking no you don't do i use it for masonry no you don't use this for plumbing either you no, use plumbing. it for what electrical so this is an electrical yeah. tool uh -huh. okay um Okay, so electrical, so these are holes for the wires, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, okay. and what's the numbers mean? The numbers are the diameters of the wire? Yep, they're the gauge of the wires. Gauge. 8 gauge, gauge 10 gauge, 12 gauge, 14 oh, gauge. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Okay, so this is like a thing to help you hold the wires? Mm -hmm. Strip the wires. Oh, strip the it wires. Takes the, the plastic jacket off the wire without cutting the wires inside. Oh, okay. So if I used a 14 gauge hole, on say an eight gauge wire, I would I would turn the eight gauge wire into a fourteen gauge wire because that hole is only big enough for a fourteen gauge mm. wire to slip through. Okay, and by the way, you. fourteen gauge is smaller than the larger number. Yeah, that's really confusing. It's really confusing the first time I was learning about like. I mean, Laura. Yeah. Cute. Yeah. So okay. yeah, these are wire strippers. Cool. All right, okay. these two are levelers. I know what these are mm -hmm. the little bubble there it's got to stay in the middle for you to know if something is level or not and by level we just mean it's flat like 180 degrees yeah parallel to the surface of the earth right right to the flat surface of the earth right because the earth is flat mm. oh wait what <laughs> oh. uh, you say the earth is yeah. <laughs> so a little thing that i run into a lot with workers and interns and volunteers is I'll tell them level it, use the level. The bubble will be in the middle, but off to the side there or something, not perfectly in the middle. I'll say, that's not level. And they'll say, what do you mean? The bubble's inside the middle. Well, the bubble, it's not good enough that the bubble's just inside the middle. It has to be in the center of the middle. Mm -hmm. And that's why these are kind of inefficient is because you're kind of going on 
looking at it to, mm. to gauge if something's level or not, as opposed to like laser levels and stuff. Yeah. They, um, they're much more precise. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. And now we have a few pieces of hardware, um, which I'm not good at hardware at all. I'm terrible at hardware. Um, yeah, hardware's a tough one. It takes a while. Because so. when I was a kid, my dad wasn't like, hand me the, the three sixteenths, two inch screw, button head screw. Wow. He wasn't doing that. I never learned that until I went into aviation and stuff. Man, it is so hard. There's so many different kinds. Like this, this is a screw. Um, and you know it's a screw because it there's it comes to a point. Um, but I don't know what it's used for. Because you can't use this screw for uh screwing into concrete or metal. It's specifically used for a certain type of material. Which is which I think. Because we've been doing a lot of drywall, I think this is a drywall screw. No, uh, no, it's a no? wood screw. Oh, it's a wood screw. Yeah. Okay, you can tell by the thread. Oh, threads, um, really, really threads that are really separated apart and kind of big are drywall screws. Mm -hmm. Little tip here: I use drywall screws instead of wood screws on wood because the threads here are bigger and hold on to the wood better, mm -hmm. so you'll have less separation than. Uh, a tiny little thin wood screw like this. Mm, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Um, yeah, and you're, the, the closer your threads are together and the smaller they are, the smaller they jet, the less they jet out from the, yeah. the, the harder material it is. So softest material, drywall, threads are huge, separated a lot. Hardest material, steel and metal, threads are tiny, really close together. Got it, got it, okay. And what type of screw is this? Uh, a Phillips head Good. screw? Okay. It's also a hex head. Oh, hex so head. So you could put a socket or a... Oh, cool. And this specifically is a roofing screw. Oh, So this okay. will go through your roof into the wood. I don't know how you but know But again, that. we use this for everything. We use this for hanging pictures and everything. Oh, wow. That's insane. And that, a screw is different from a bolt, which I didn't know about until I came here. I thought they were all the same. I thought they were just all screws, but... A bolt doesn't have that, The it doesn't come to a point. It's just flat here. I don't know why. Um, because we don't need these to screw into a material. We use these because the nut is on them. Okay, so you're not screwing into a material. Right. Oh my gosh, I'm just now learning this. Yeah. So you're going to drill a hole through both materials. Oh my if God, it's wood okay, I get it. Or plastic or metal, you're going to drill a hole through both materials. This, this goes through real loose mm -hmm. and then you, you tighten them both up with a nut and a washer and whatnot. Gotcha. The pointed thing goes through materials. Mm. Some of them are actually self-drilling, so you don't even have to drill holes. Now to make it even more complicated, um, your hardware stores will call some of these bolts screws. They'll call them pan head screws or button head screws or countersunk screws or flat head screws that are technically a, a bolt. That's confusing. Uh, but they will never call a screw that has a tip on it a bolt. But you could go to this hardware store right now, and that package might say um, number 10, because that's what this is, button head, stainless steel. This is stainless steel. Phillips screw. Man. Uh, Three-quarter inch screw. That is so confusing. And it's, uh, it's not. It's a bolt. Yeah. And then I just have two last pieces here, a washer and a nut. Um, Which are, should be pretty easy. I mean, we know what nuts and washers are. Yeah, I, I worked with nuts and I worked with washer. Washer's just a space holder mostly. And the nut is, it just caps off the screw. 
um, pretty much. Those are galvanized. So oh. where did that galvanize you? Outside? Yeah. Outside in the water, different. Or because moisture. it doesn't rust? It will, but oh. the galvanization on it acts as a sacrificial diode oh. or anode. And it will, the, the electricity that's created in the water, when the water's interacting with the different metal, eat that galvanization first before it eats your nut. Oh, okay. So yeah, so hardware, it's a whole different world out there with hardware. And I, I'm, I am not, I don't even think I've scratched the surface of yeah, it. No, it's critical out there to have all the hardware you need because there's no hardware store. I know. Um, we couldn't leave the property to buy anything. So we made sure we took everything with us. If I needed a bolt that I didn't have, I would melt down scrap metal, form, make a form, melt down metal and make my screws or my nails or my bolts. So yeah, know your hardware. To the, the, the game I promised you, um, make like bingo cards or flashcards, put different tools, different wrenches, the names on them and everything. And then when you call out needle nose wrench, there's, you don't have the name of it, but you have the picture of it. Hmm. And you say, that's a needle nose wrench right there. That's fine. Then you got bingo. That's fine. I should play that. I just made up the game right now, but <laughs> sounds <Great> fun. <laughs> so next topic we want to talk about, other than acquiring skills, you also had to learn how to finance your venture out there. It's, it's kind of ironic because you would think that living sustainably would be a lot cheaper and it is in the long run mm -hmm. but there are a lot of upfront costs that goes into it and it's it's funny it's like that phrase that says you need money to make money and in this case you need money to not, not make, make money, money. <laughs> yeah, you gotta pay to leave the game yeah you you have to pay you have and to pay to leave the, you have to pay to be in the game and you have to pay to leave the game right right and in the long run it pays off it definitely saves you but in the beginning, you had to sort of manage a lot of your finances and save up and sell things, right? So how did you manage your finances before leading society? I was a very good captain. I knew how to play the game and I played it well. I was a good cog in the machine. Mm -hmm. I think I made my first million when I was 25 and I made another million when I was 28, right before we cashed out and left. Wow. Um, I think we left with... 1.87 at 1.7 and uh so i could play the game wow okay so you were already a millionaire before you left society yeah at so, 28 yeah so do you recommend that everyone you become, else you need to become a millionaire <laughs> no because i mean we, we we acquired some things in order to leave we got a kill and we got tools. We bought a bobcat. And so we had some machinery out there. That's about it. But that's not a million, two million dollars worth of stuff. No. That's a couple, few thousand dollars worth of right. stuff. Right. we spent. Yeah, you don't need much. But I wasn't making money back then to leave society. Mm -hmm. I was making money so that I could live in a mansion and have a Ferrari and have, mm -hmm. a, you know. And we did. We had jet skis. We had a brand new wakeboarding boat, multiple houses. A brand new truck. You were living the the American dream. Yeah, yeah, we were we were living two engineers. Yeah, um, we were we were living the good life. How we managed our funds before we left was I invested in real estate, real estate, and um, rental properties before the the housing bubble popped. Actually, it was people like me that made the bubble pop. <laughs> so we cashed out before the bubble popped. Yeah, we made a lot of money. Wow. Okay. 
So can you sort of break down your approach to how you saved money? Uh, yes. I mean, it's kind of easier for you because you were already, you know, you already had a lot of money in under your name. So yeah, but a big part of making money is yeah. saving money. Uh-huh. So like, um, I mean, I wasn't, there are people out there that make a lot more money than me right. at that time. But my key was that I didn't spend it on the little things. We didn't go out to dinner ever. We didn't go out to movies ever. We never went shopping for clothes or, or new shoes or, um, the, that dollar bag of chips out of the vending machine and with a dollar 50 soda every day at lunch. Mm-hmm. Um, you, if you add up all the sodas and all the, the bags of chips you buy out of your vending machine at, at, at work every day, it, it comes out to tens of thousands of dollars over your lifetime. Mm-hmm. That's tens of thousands of dollars you could have used to leave society. Yeah, it really, really is. So it's the little things that, that, that added up. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I completely agree with you. Yeah, Being just, frugal is just the way you should be even in society. <laughs> yeah. I think w- that was also a learning thing for us. We taught ourselves how to not need things, mm. how to not be materialistic, how to not be capitalist, how we didn't need to spend things. We didn't need to go out. And that kind of prepared us for being off the grid and not mm. doing any of those things. I see. I see. So what about all of your personal belongings and stuff? What did you do with that? We got rid of it all. We got rid of the cookie cutter suburban home with the white picket fence. Yeah. We burned our phones. We burned computers, burned all of our personal belongings. My goodness. Um, pictures, CDs. We burned wads of cash. Had a huge bonfire before we left and just. Why? Why, why burn it all? Especially the cash. Like, I can't imagine anyone burning actual physical money. I mean, I- all we can all say we need a little bit more money in our lives right yeah so why you know like even our viewers they need money so why not just give it all away i feel like that that should have been i would have just given all your stuff away but but that's exactly why um because we need these things things stuff have become an addiction we're addicted consumers. I mean, why else would we go through what we go through day in and day out? The hell we put ourselves through and our families through, if not because we are completely addicted to these things. And money is at the root of all of that. Money is the root of all evil. Why on earth would I give someone else the root of all evil? <laughs> you know, here you go. Here's the root of all evil for you. Uh, That's a nice thing for me to do, you know. You're making it sound like it's a nice thing to give people these things and this money, but it's, it's a horrible thing. It's a curse. So we're addicted to things, right? We're addicted to money. We know this. Mm-hmm. That's like being addicted to say, um, I don't know, heroin and you're trying to kick your addiction. So you just give that heroin to another addict. Mm-hmm. Um, does that make sense? No. no. You know, you and I can't express this enough. You have to, have to, have to burn it. Burn it all, douse into flames. When you, you can't just throw it away. You can't give it away. When you burn something, um, when you burn your things, there's a certain finality to it. Uh, there is, when you see that flame burning, when you, you th- see your things being physically destroyed, when you give them away, there's not, not that disconnection, but when they're physically destroyed, you have that disconnect and that 
disconnect can only occur through fire, mm -hmm. through death, rather than just dropping them off at the local Goodwill. Mm -hmm. By burning your stuff and your money, you not only destroy those things, you destroy that money, you destroy that, as you said, need inside you for them. Mm -hmm. And that's what we were going for. That's what we needed in order to totally and completely disconnect from society and all societal things and all forms, we had to destroy that, that need inside of us. And that's what we did by destroying that. It's representative wow. of destroying inside of us. That fire that burns in us, we had to emanate that in a real fire. Wow. So it was a very symbolic moment for you to burn all of your stuff. Um, it, it's also very dramatic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. It has to be extremely dramatic. Oh, okay. Because look how dramatic we act to gain these things and to that's make true. money. Yeah. Like that's the most dramatic thing we do in life is try to make money and the ways we make money. And yeah. many people go to prison for the rest of life because they went and tried to get money in a certain way, dramatically, illegally. This thing we have programmed into us about stuff and money is so deeply rooted that the symbolism behind it has to be that deep also. And the most extreme thing you can do to something that I know of, I mean, I can't cast, cast out space or something, but is to burn it. Mm, and um, it really does do something. Psychologists have, have documenting results of burning, you know, you write down your fears oh, yeah. and you write down toss your, them in the fire, toss yeah. them in the fire or set them out to see. Burn your excess pictures. Your excess yeah. pictures. And it does something. It's euphoric. Mm -hmm. It feels good. And when we threw wads of cash, thousands, to, you know, I wouldn't say tens of thousands, but thousands of dollars into the fire, it was like, it kind of ripped something open in you. And wow. you were like, that means nothing to me. It's literally paper and I don't need it anymore. So going from a multimillionaire to, I don't need any money anymore was a huge dramatic drastic change. Yeah. It might've been easier for someone that was very poor and never had anything to make mm. that transition. But for someone at the top of their field, at the top of that level in society to go to that level, probably the most dramatic thing I've ever done. Okay. I see. I understand. So for everyone who's watching, that is step number four is burn all of your stuff, burn all your money, <laughs> create a huge bonfire before you leave society. They're like, my bonfire is going to be very little. I, don't, I only got $5 in my wallet. <laughs> <laughs> my coins. It's so funny. Uh, but yeah, finances alone can be its own episode, you know, because there, there's so much that goes into it. Like, I, I kind of want to talk more about the upfront cost and kind of pick your mind about how much it costs you. Because there's a lot of upfront costs. There's land that you have to buy, raw materials to build your structure, uh, transportation, I don't know, and, and then other things that you need out there. So uh, I wonder if we can maybe like break down everything and see what is actually the cheapest option out there for people to who are looking to start financing and budgeting things. So for you personally, how much was the land that you bought? We had something around, I think, 3,000 acres. Whoa. And we paid, uh, I think we paid 30,000 for it or something. For 3,000 acres? Yeah. Oh, wow. That's why we went to where we went. 
in um, West Texas. Because the land was cheap. Yeah, it's the desert. Yeah. It was actually, it was classified as unhabitable land. And there are only a few places in, in the United States that is classified as that, like um, Death Valley mm. and um, parts of northern Alaska. Mm. Although people have, indigenous people have been habiting, habiting these places for millions of years. Yeah. Um, but yeah, nothing grows out there. There's no materials. There's no gas stations. There's no grocery stores. Um, there's no ambulances. There's no 911. Like, you couldn't even call. There's no phone service, right. you know. So you couldn't even call 911. And if you could get all of them, they wouldn't go out there. You have to have a 911 address mm. for 911 to come to you. And we had no addresses. Mm -hmm. There's no roads. There's nothing. So if you're going to get really, really, really cheap land, then you're going to have to really work really, really, really hard for the same level of comfort as someone that got really, really, really expensive land. Mm -hmm. They would have to work a lot less than we'd have to. Gotcha. So yeah. it, you're going to trade off. Right. Yeah. If you're going to live off grid, you're going to need some kind of land. And if you're going to grow your own food and live sustainably and have livestock and whatever, you need several acres, but not necessarily 3,000 acres, right? <laughs> well, in the desert, you'd need... At least hundreds of acres. Oh, wow. Because the food is so sparse. Oh, okay. That, 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 that the livestock, were, first of all, I don't think cows could ever su sustain themselves in the desert. Maybe longhorns, but we used African boar goats yeah. that are used to hot, dry. And they would eat cactuses with the thorns and everything. Oh, okay. Whatever grass was growing out there, they'd eat that. But they had to travel Probably they'd travel, um, I'd say 20, 30 miles in a day in one loop. And then another day they'd do another 20, 30 miles in a different loop and then another loop over here. And then by the time they got back around to that, that area that they had grazed weeks later, it would have grown back enough for them to eat it. Mm -hmm. But, okay, if, but if you're in the rainforest of Honduras or, yeah. or Peru, where literally, like when we were down there, we hacked this, this trail through the jungle. And we were, but we were there for a week or five, six days. When we came back, it was all overgrown. Oh, okay. Six days, it all grew back. And so if you're down there, you could live off a quarter acre. Wow. Okay. With the same needs as we had. Gotcha. Yeah. And like you were saying, it, the amount of what you have to pay for the upfront cost of the land, obviously is going to fluctuate depending on where you're at. You found 3,000 acres of land for $30,000. 30, 40,000, something like that. Right, in West Texas, which is like extremely cheap for that much of that amount of land. Yeah. Um, but if you're trying to live off grid in California, yeah. Oh, yeah, you're, you're going to get $400,000 for a little lot. Yeah, exactly. So it, it really depends. Um, a small plot of rural land in on average is like you said, it may be twenty thousand to thirty thousand. And this is just a small plot, not three thousand yeah. acres. Yeah. So already immediately you already have to pocket like out of pocket pay for twenty thousand dollars worth of land on the cheapest on the cheaper side. Mm -hmm. So you you already have to start thinking about saving up for that or getting enough income to where you can purchase the land up front there's a, there's other options though um, oh you can squat uh, a lot of these fall yeah okay squatting is actually a legal thing if you squat on land I, don't quote me on this but i think for more than 13 years or 15 years you legally own the land in certain states so 
There's a lot of people that just backpack up into Washington and Alaskan mountains yeah. and just live on other people's land that these people never go to their land their entire life. Wow. It was probably passed down generation to generation. They've never seen their land. Or they squat in national parks where it's so thick and dense up there in the Rocky Mountains that rangers never find them. I worked for one of the founders of PayPal mm. on a project he called the Seastead Institute, where we made floating islands out in international waters mm. where nobody owns that, mm. you know. Um, so you have some other options. Mm, okay, I see. Yeah, definitely. But if you're trying to go the more traditional route, purchasing land, um, it's important that you keep those upfront costs in mind. Yeah, for at least 40 grand. Right. I think the pet, you could probably guesstimate on up to 80, 100,000 easily. Mm -hmm. um, and another upfront cost is housing. Obviously, you can purchase a plot of land that already has a structure on it, but that's not always the case with a lot of the off-grid living um, acres that you find out there. So you may need to build a home or purchase a cabin or buy an RV or like you did, you lived in um, your truck camper for two years before mm -hmm. you built a structure out there. So you, and you did it in a very sustainable way. You found a lot of free items and you repurposed and recycled. So you may, on the cheaper side, if you're going to do it like how, Dan did it. Um, you may get away with just spending ten thousand or so. How much did you spend on on your structure? Um, I think it was um, like one hundred and eighty seven dollars. What? Yeah, we we built two two things. First, we built a house out of one hundred percent recycled material, which was completely free. We got it from FreeCycle. We got it from warehouses that had blown down and the property owner was giving away the metal and stuff. Oh my goodness. Um, but we used new bolts and new hardware. Mm -hmm. um, so I think we paid like $187 worth of screws and bolts. And wow. The other thing we did was built um, our house completely out of natural materials that we could harvest and mine on our property. Mm -hmm. So, um, a lot of rock, we made adobe, um, mm -hmm. there's a lot of clay in the desert, a lot of sand in the desert. That's going back to that dream of wants and needs. Right. And I want to build a log cabin. That's been my dream. I'm going to go out the desert cause that's where land is cheap. And I'm going to build this log cabin. <laughs> no, <laughs> build a log cabin where there's a thick, heavy, dense forest Right. and build an adobe house where there's not a thick, heavy, dense forest. Right, right. So use the natural materials that are there uh, yeah. as much as possible. Wow, that's incredible. I, can't, I didn't know you built your house with under $200. Well, we burned all our cash in the fire. <laughs> we had $187. <laughs> you used all of that. <laughs> Just our coins, you had $187 worth of quarters. Left. But yeah, you you can do what Dan did. So it's it's definitely feasible. It's not impossible to build a structure for extremely cheap if you don't have the knowledge or the materials you may need to budget that into your financial plan and again it goes back to that balance of if you use less money you're going to end up working more mm -hmm. and if you lose use more money you're going to work less mm. so yeah we could have bought a nice mobile home or rv or something stayed at a line for a couple hundred thousand mm -hmm. and parked it out there and never had to build anything. Yeah. Um, or we could say, we're going to do this all ourselves and bust our butts for two years. 
so yeah, it just depends. You're, you're going to pay more for less work and work more for less pay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, and then the next upfront cost that people don't think about is your power. What are you going to do to generate all of the energy that needs to power and heat your home or cool your home? The popular ways to do that is solar power or wind power. And if you're going to go those routes and you're not planning on building it on your own from scratch, you are going to expect out-of-pocket costs. Of I want to say it's a lot cheaper now, so like maybe 10 grand. But yeah, you could build a solar system for 10 grand, small solar system for 10 grand. Right. But like when Dan went out there, it was like 100,000 yeah, grand. Yeah, yeah 100,000. Right. Yeah. Now you, you can expect to get solar panels out there for a little bit cheaper. How much did you spend? We built our own solar panels. That's what I thought. So, um, yeah, we didn't really spend too much. But again, this goes back to, and, and it tells you in the book how to make your own solar cells. Mm -hmm. Um, but our soil panels were so low grade, they were so inefficient that they were putting out watts or tens of watts, sometimes microwatts. Today, now they're putting out hundreds of watts, sometimes thousands of watts. But it goes back to that wants and needs. If you are knowledgeable about what you actually need out there, you don't need a dryer, you don't need a washer, yeah. you don't need air conditioning. Um, you don't need a television, then your electrical needs are going to be a lot less and you can get away with watts or dozens of watts or hundreds of watts, God. solar panels. But if you're going to go out there and say, I want a washing machine, I want air conditioning. Yeah, you're going to pay tens of thousands of dollars for it. And that goes back to picking and choosing where you're going to live. Mm. If you're going to live up in Alaska, you need a huge heating supply. If you're going to live out in Death Valley, you need a, cool, a cooling supply. Mm -hmm. And that can be natural and passive instead of air conditioning. Um, but you want to pick. It, actually, heating and cooling is probably the, the foremost decision that you're going to make. And I would suggest getting land in a climate-neutral place. And there are several of them. Along the West Coast, it stays very climate-neutral. Uh, around Arkansas, at a certain elevation, it's very climate-neutral. Not too hot, not too cold. So you're not battling the heat and the cold, and then that, that transfers over to growing. You're not battling the heat and cold for growing food and seasons. In climate-neutral areas, food grows all year round and fast. I see. Where are you going to get the en your energy source? It's important to think about that. Yeah, if you, have, if, you, if you are buying property with a little creek going through it, you, you got water turbines that produce electricity day and night. Right. Solar only produces during the daytime and right. wind turbines only produce when it's windy. Right. Yeah. And speaking about water, that's another upfront cost that you're going to have to consider into your financial plan. Um, we were talking a little uh, earlier about installing a well on your property, which can cost a few thousand dollars if you're going to have someone come out there to build a well for you. If you're going to do it yourself, it takes material and maintenance and whatnot. So um, you still have to budget for that also. Yeah, absolutely. Even our rain catchment systems, we had to make big tanks for storage and How much did they systems. cost you? Um, probably hundreds, maybe probably 500 $800. I don't oh, think more okay. than that. But it was enough to provide us with enough water to feed, to give all of us water. Our plants water and our livestock water right. year round. Yeah. And like you were saying, you might get lucky and find a property with a natural water source on there. 
Um, in that case, you may need to find a way to treat and filtrate the water so you can consume it, um, which may cost a few hundred to. And then to transport the water, you you may need a water pump or if you're willing to go out there every morning and, mm -hmm. and transport it. So so there's more cost that comes with that. Water would be the number two Most thing I would look for. Okay. Yeah, it, if you had a creek going, a year-round creek on your property, you have water, you have heating and cooling, food supply, the fish and the crawfish and the clams. You have um, electricity and you have just a place to cool off and swim in. It's just, it's a huge, huge um, plus in a pro. Yeah, definitely. And then the next upfront cost that most people don't think about is your septic system. What are you going to do with all of your waste? I think in your case, you had a compost toilet, right? Mm -hmm. Which is a lot more, it's way cheaper to build, but it does require a lot more maintenance. Right now, we have a septic tank. That's where all of our waste goes into. I don't know how much you spent on I built it. You built it. Mm -hmm. So you didn't spend any money other uh, than the raw materials. Yeah, just the piping, I think. Right. That was one of the um, elements that we left society not knowing anything about. Your well, waste management? Waste management. No. I never went to school for waste management. Yeah. There's no classes on waste management. Uh, I wouldn't even want to go to school for waste management. No, yeah. But I didn't know how to make a, a septic tank. I didn't know how to make a compost toilet. And we ended up, we bought it, this compost toilet. I don't remember the brand name of it, but never buy that brand. <laughs> I, remember, I wish I could remember the name of it, but it was the top line, best compost toilet that you could get. And we bought that toilet and it never worked. And I took it apart and out there learned how composting works, how fast human waste turns into, into fertilizer, how to help safely, healthy handle and uh, have a compost toilet. And then I threw that one away and built my own compost toilet and then threw that one away and built another one. And then threw that away. I think the third or fourth iteration worked really, really good. And that was actually the compost toilet design that I used in Haiti. After the earthquake, the uh, Port-au-Prince Municipal Corps of Engineers had me come out there and teach them how to make this compost toilet. And they put it in all the different tent cities at the time. Wow. Because they didn't have any kind of sewer system anymore. And then when I went back over there for the cholera outbreaks, I got to see all my toilets and wow. all over the place. Wow. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. That's a good compost toilet. Yeah. So yeah, learn how to waste management. Yeah. Is that... Building the compost toilet, is that in your book? Yeah. Okay. So and, a, and a septic tank too. Oh, How to awesome. Build a septic tank. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. That would save you a lot of money and into something that you don't really think about until you're out there. And it gives you fertilizer for your plants. There you go. Yeah. So the expenses that we talked about are obviously the larger upfront costs. So I'm just going to do the calculations really quick. I am a math major, guys. <laughs> <laughs> that's... The only thing I can do as a math major is very simple arithmetic into a calculator. <laughs> I remember when I was a kid, this is, a, this is a common saying, but when I was a kid, our teachers told us, we say, why do we have to learn math? They say, because you're not going to have a computer, uh, a calculator in your pocket when, when you're all the time. And now everybody has calculators in their pocket all the time. And then we had to learn cursive. And I thought, why do we have to learn cursive? And since then, I've never had to use cursive. I've been on this planet for for f almost 40 years since I learned how to write in cursive and never once used cursive. That in fact, so I don't think I've even written anything in like 10 years. 
everything's typed or texted in now. That is so true. We don't even write anything anymore. Like you don't even need to learn how to write. That is very true. Yeah, it's it's funny. I I saw a video this morning about um how this new generation doesn't understand how to read cursive or read roadmaps. Good. Well, roadmaps, but cursive, <laughs> like that should have been tossed out a hundred years ago. Yeah, and it's funny because like she she was saying that as it was a bad thing, like these kids don't know how to read cursive. Yeah. And first of all, like it, it's it's a very old tradition that we don't even use like my age and your age we don't really use cursive at all um everything is typed or just written normally um and also like you guys are the ones who are supposed to teach us so whose fault yeah. is it you know yeah. like oh these kids don't know how to write cursive well like, darn you should have taught us <laughs> if you if you're gonna make such a big complaint about it you know yeah um but anyways that was a rant about society. Well, and why to leave society. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll have a whole episode of why you should leave society. <laughs> yeah. So we have, okay, so back to finances. Land, 20000 Housing, 10000 Power, 15000 Water, 5000 Septic, another 5000 Um, That adds up to already $55,000 alone. And this is, and we're, we're trying to calculate this on a cheaper side. Not as damn cheap because... Dan Cheap was almost five hundred dollars. Yeah, almost basically free. Yeah, we try to do everything for free. Right. It was practical. Oh, other than other than the land, which you guys paid mm -hmm. um, thirty thousand for. Yeah, I think it was forty thousand or forty two thousand or something like that. Right. So with all of everything considered, and, and obviously you're going to miss out on a few things, um, but these are just the larger upfront costs. You're going to need to budget at least $55,000 to um, start looking for land, building your house and water, septic, all of that stuff. Um, and then there's smaller upfront costs that you're going to need to maintain throughout the time that you're out there. Like livestock, you're going to need to pay some upfront costs for livestock, seeds, tools. Yeah, exactly. So so there's, I, I want to say maybe that's another 10,000 or yeah. so on on the cheaper side. Mm -hmm. Um so totaling out upfront costs larger and smaller will probably be around 65,000. That's something that you need to start budgeting into your financial plan. So we are going to have to do a part 2. <laughs> we talk so much. I know. Um because we still have a few more points that we would like to go over with prepping. There's just so much to just prepping alone that, I mean, we could do a 10 part series in yeah. just prepping. Yeah. We could do hundred. That's what I'm saying. There's no cutoff for it. We could do a hundred episodes. Yeah. It's, it's really, I mean, I'm trying to follow your book as much as possible, but there's so many different ways you can go out there to prepare yourself to leave society or to just be more self-sufficient. So this, this, this isn't definitely the Bible, yeah. Um, but it's it's sort of what Dan did to prepare himself. And just to let you guys know, there's a whole chapter on what we did to prepare to go off the grid. And this book is three almost 300 pages long. The original version of that book was three, th five, 15,000 15, pages long. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you're getting a really condensed micro version of how to prepare for this. Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, you guys, we're going to have to cut it here. It is already an hour and 
31 minute mark. So nice. <laughs> next time we'll talk about research, all the research that it takes to look for things such as land, look for things such as livestock and renewable energy, different kinds of shelters and whatnot. And then the part everyone wants to know is quitting your job and retiring. That's easy. I quit. I guess. Actually, yeah. You know what? Not the part everyone wants to know. The part that is the easiest for everyone to do, quitting their job How and retiring. How to quit retiring. your job and retire. <laughs> How to quit your job properly. At 28. <laughs> yeah. So tune in next time for part two. See you later. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. Be sure to pick up a copy of Dan Martin's book, Breaking the Grid, at Familius.com. Link below. And of course, please like, subscribe, and share.